From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. everybody to the first goal own goal of a brand new season joining me as always a man who in his time has scored more than his fair share of both roger mitchell <laughs> i'm at how are you i'm fine how are you are you good i am doing splendidly i have to say doing splendidly it's uh, sunday evening we've had a whole weekend of sport to pick apart rog and, and a whole week before that yeah and uh, there's plenty to get our teeth into it's been a good sunday did you see the grand prix i know you're not a big formula one guy Oh, no, I don't mind, but I didn't. And I, it's funny, you know, I lived in Singapore for nine years. That's why I was asking. And my apartment overlooked the racetrack. And I was away that week every year for nine straight years. I never once saw the Grand Prix. <laughs> well, this one today was very special. Uh, I too have kind of like fallen out of love of Formula One this year just because of the predictability of, of sport, that whole thing yeah. there. But honestly, today, it was just amazing. Science won it. And he did it in the most beautiful way that um, he was being threatened by the, um, the Mercedes who changed their tyres and were coming at him strong. And he had uh, Lando Norris in second place as a kind of buffer. So to keep his buffer as long as possible, he kept Lando Norris within one second. So they always had DRS. And um, it was just beautiful to watch how he was managing his gap between himself and, and Norris under a second to drag uh, Lando along and give him as much buffer to the two advancing Mercedes as possible. It was it was one of the most exciting finishes to a Formula One I've seen in a long, long time. And I'd like to say, Sainz, that's the second one in a row. One of the things guys of our age notice, Grant, when you see younger men, is that at a certain point in time, they just grow up all of a sudden, don't they? They just are different. They've decided that they're going to compete in the world. They're going to all of a sudden fill out, if you want to use that that expression. And science, I think, in the last couple of months has done that. So I'm delighted. I'm delighted for Singapore and for Formula One. It was a great, great race. It's funny, I always find like Monaco that Singapore race is always a bit kind of dull because it's a street circuit and it's you know it's tough to overtake that normally the excitement there revolves around people crashing and going off the track rather than any great overtaking maneuver so it's never one that I kind of religiously try and watch but um Jimmy the Greek messaged me a few times saying how good it was so I, yeah, it was I, great. I didn't quite get to see it unfortunately I was uh, I was in a car so but yeah thank you for that review Roger I will watch the highlights on whatever streaming service they show yeah before 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 we get into the meat of the 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 gog um the other thing that i did catch as you're zapping on a sunday afternoon was the pga at wentford yes uh, uh, wentworth sorry and um i don't know the guy that won it um ryan fox yeah but i have the great all black grant fox you're joking nope that's grant fox's son well, I mean, there must be someone in the DNA because this guy was under all kinds of pressure. And did you see it? Did you see it? I, I did. I saw the. I saw the end. Yeah. Bloody hell! Just a four, just like like shelling peas. Unbelievable. 
And uh, the guy he was playing with never heard of him either, Rye. You know, like, yeah, puts on the green and two and so close with that part. So um, uh, I've enjoyed my Sunday afternoon of sport so far. Uh, Very, very good. Did you watch the uh, Arsenal-Everton game? I did. I did. Uh, it's quite funny because, you know, I, I was very much into Arsenal last year and, and, and I do that out of sympathy more than anything for Colin and for Elliot Richardson. But I have to say, I don't think that it's good this year. I saw Havertz didn't play today and um, Elliot and my son have got a little kind of like side bet. Luca thinks that Havertz is a total bluff. And Elliot, obviously, like any true fan is saying, give him time, give him time. And Lucas saying, 80 million spunked away. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's, not, he's not been too impressive. And I didn't think he was that impressive. I was, I was very surprised, actually, that um, Arteta came in for habits, I have to say. But um, I, look, they're not, they're not as dominant as they were last year. But they're a good team. They're just not scoring the goals they did last year. I think they're playing very well, but we'll see. Time, yeah, we'll time will tell, Rog, but we'll they'll be up there at the end of the season for sure. For sure, for sure. So what have you got for me? You start well, off. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go first this week because I'm going to steal one that uh, I want to get before you get it because I'm pretty sure that this will be on your list. <laughs> and that is uh, that is your boy Ange Postacoglu and, <laughs> and Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, I've got to get this first because I, I dare say you're going to come and grab it. And, it, you know, it's funny, um, you've been singing Ange's praises since his time at Celtic. And there was a lot of who's this guy when Spurs got to come and manage them. And you, were, again, were a lone voice in the wilderness saying, no, oh, no, this guy's the real deal. And look, I've been impressed with him from what I've seen so far in his press conferences and stuff. I've been impressed with the way he's handled the team. But most of all, what caught me today was a tweet which I, I sent to you earlier on. And I'm going to dig it up now because I thought it was, it was absolutely fantastic. It was a tweet that... Uh, had a quote from him in in his press conference, I think it was, when he was asked if Tottenham fans should temper their expectations after the start they've had to the season. Now, I'm going to read his answer to you because I just think it is absolutely fantastic. He says, My role is not to burst people's bubbles. Let them get excited. Let them get ahead of themselves. That's the beauty of being a supporter. They go through enough pain, mate. You won't let them enjoy it. If they think we're going to be world beaters, then great. That's up to us to match that expectation. Our supporters deserve to have some happiness and enjoy it any way they want to. That is such a breath of fresh air to me, you know, from the standard press conference. So, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's play down expectations because I don't want people shouting at me from the terraces. I just thought that was absolutely yeah. wonderful. There, there's something, you're, you're right, Ross, there's something very, very different about this guy. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Tottenham, but I'm a big fan of Ange Postacoglu. Yeah, uh, that wasn't a breath of fresh air for me because word for word they used that with the Celtic fans around about yeah, the maybe. same time last year when we were about to play Real Madrid because we'd started the season so well as well. This guy is everything that I've said he is, but he's also just not off the cuff. This is a calculating communicator, a leader like all leaders are, and he knows, you know, with the Richarlston stuff and the comments about mental health. And then he goes and delivers him a goal and an assist. Look, I don't think he's got the squad there yet to really strengthen. I think top three is realistic. But um, I wouldn't put anything past this guy because it's a phrase that is out of fashion now. But, you know, this is a man's man and it's salt of the earth. And people follow guys like that and anything is possible. Well, he's what's known in Aussie as, as a true blue Aussie battler, mate. He's a battler. 
And as we saw from the result on Saturday, Rog, you know, he's got his players playing for him. They scored two goals uh, with 97 minutes on the clock. That's not classic Spursy, let's no. face it. I mean, and, and they've got... Um, this is not the history of the Tottenham. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. But we've got the North London derby coming up in, a, Huge. in either next week or the week after. Actually, maybe it's next week. I think there's a Champions League it's midweek. Sunday. And then, it's Sunday. It's um, Sunday. A week today. And then, yeah, and then North London derby next week. So that, that, that'll be a real test of, of both of them, I think. It's going to be a, a really good game, I suspect. I would have my money on Tottenham, I have to say. All right, I'll take the other side of that. We'll have well, a look at that. I'll take okay, the other, side, the other side for a little um, kudos type bet because Arsenal have got an important game in midweek and Tottenham don't. So um, that's that. I would continue with my goal this week in a similar theme. Uh, and this is good because at the end of the day, you know, we're just on goal on goal to talk about what we really like about, you know, we did the groundsman and all that's macro and a little bit serious, but, you know, this is sport. So, you know, again, uh, my son sent me this yesterday. A tweet. This is Brighton starting eleven yesterday, and how much they cost. Steel zero, Veltman zero point eight, Van Heck one point eight, Dunk zero, Lamptey two point nine, Grob two point six, Dahoud zero, Lalana zero, Andrigra six point eight, Mitoma two point six, Welbeck zero. Now, this is relatively serious, Grant. At some point, the industry of football needs to pause and ask itself. What is going on here? Because this person and this club and Tony Bloom and that organisation and Deserbi, they have spent nothing. They are cashing in hundreds of millions and they're playing beautifully. So as Luca said, either they're totally geniuses like Leonardo Einstein type geniuses or the rest of the footballing industry is totally rubbish. You know, because this isn't close, Grant. This isn't close. This is so strong that you've got to say, what's happening here? You know, what's happening here? What's your view about that? My view about that is simple. I've thought about this a lot because Brighton are a superb team. I, you know, I watched them at Fulham last year and we beat them, but, man, they were a good side. I won't say we didn't deserve the win, but it was it was a hard-fought game and they were an ex. And this is when I first saw Matoma play and I said when I saw him come on, this kid's the real deal. He was, I was at pitch level and he was so fast and such great feet. But I think what's going on here, Rog, is simple. I think the big teams are under pressure to spend money on big players, right? And so they're looking at all these expensive players thinking, right, well, we need to make a statement for our fans. They expect us to wave the checkbook. They expect us to be picking up these expensive players. And you're trying to force together teams of prima donnas who come with a big price tag and, and an ego that goes with it, whereas the Tony Blooms of the world are building teams for a pittance. I mean, look at Fulham last year. Another perfect example, right? That Fulham team, I don't know what the total outlay was to put that team together last year. Everybody had them finishing bottom three. Most people had them finishing bottom. They finished 10th and played great football with a whole bunch of guys who who didn't cost a lot of money, came together, played as a team, played for their manager and so it's eminently doable. I don't think Brighton are a massive outlier. I think they show you that it can be done and they've got a good manager and they've got a good recruiting system and they're putting together a good team away from the need to write massive checks. I mean, look at Chelsea, the complete opposite. Look at what Chelsea's done, right? They spent a billion pounds on players in the last couple of years. It's absurd. And look at them, look at yeah. them. I can't win yeah, a game. It's, it's Graham, you're right, but I'm, I'm, I'm asking, you know, the derivative question of that. 
Well, actually, two derivative questions. Why do smart people allow that to happen? And two, if we are going to go into some kind of like bear market, as we suggested on the groundsman, is everybody going to wake up and smell the coffee here? Because my view is this, and it almost has been, with a few exceptions of the very, very top players, a lot of player talent is commodity and interchangeable. So what I'm saying is this, Havertz for me, all jokes aside, could be a good player, can be a great player. He's not 80 million extra worth than picking up a very good player that isn't known from a lesser team. This is my point. You know, when does the value for money criteria really, really hit European football? I think this is a big problem of all the Middle Eastern money coming in, Roch. I think it's just going to polarise even further. I think you're still going to have these teams and uh, the Saudis and the Qataris are buying teams across Europe. So each league has two or three bottomless pockets out there who are going to bid up amongst each other for all the top talent. You know, Real Madrid are going to be competing with PSG, with Man City, with Newcastle. They're all going to be competing for this top level of players. And I think the others are going to be forced into doing what you say and, and looking for well-priced teams and putting together teams with one eye at least on a budget. You know, the teams who are really struggling here are Man United, right? Because they don't have the money, but they have the expectations. They're expected Let's speak a little bit about Man United. Let's speak a little bit about Man United. Yeah. Because, you know, for a Celtic fan, a lot of people won't remember this, but going back all the way to Rod Stewart, You're In My Heart, Celtic United... The lyrics of the song, we're pretty joined at the hip to Man United. Maybe that's not a thing anymore, but Celtic and United have always been something close. Maybe it's the Irish link and things like that as well. So I, I kind of hold myself back about Man United and there's people there that work at United that I feel loyalty to. But my DMs in the last 24 hours have been absolutely packed. And this is a major problem now. You know, somebody like Rashford... So he gets a lot of good press and everything like that. and But it, I, I think they're getting really fed up with him. I think he's, you know, the word, the phrases used are one-trick pony, selfish, isn't maturing. Like I said earlier about science, I think Rashford has passed that moment when he should have matured as a player. I don't want to open the parenthesis and say that maybe his maturity was distracted by his off-the-field activities, but... I always have a view that to be really great at sport, you can't be thinking about other things, no matter how worthy. So Rashford's one thing that I think is very close to turning. The other one, I think, is the manager himself. I always thought he was quite a good pick, but I don't think he's got hold of that team. And more than anything, Grant, that seems to be a team that you kind of sense that they don't want each other to do well. That's what I sense you know, you've let, let's have a look at some of the, the issues they've got just now. You, they've got Maguire, who, you know, should have left, but probably didn't leave because he's digging his heels in. You know, saying, look, you know, why should I leave? You know, I'm not the problem here. I'll take my money and I'll, and I'll stay in the reserves. A little bit like, you know, Phil Jones did. You know, and then you've got Martial. You know, you've got Sancho. Sancho, Sancho has always had a difficult personality. They spent all that money on a 30-year-old Casemiro. You know, and he started off well and everybody's saying this is a great signing. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. And now you can see he's already in pension thinking. Varane has never been on two fit legs for X years. And that's before you get into the Antonys, 
in the Mason Greenwoods. And I think a lot of this stems from Solchar. Uh, I think that was an awful appointment, was there too long. Somebody sent this thing to me, says, they put out another statement the other day about Anthony, and this is our latest statement about Anthony, which basically says they've suspended on further two, further two, further two. There's been treble the number of statements that this team has put out that actually wins this year. That is an astonishing... And, of course, the memes are going to town. The memes... And we'll maybe come on to this a little bit later about, you know, memes and how hurtful it is and Maguire's mum trying to defend him. We'll come on to that in a minute. But the memes are so bad now, such that when, when, when Real Madrid, I don't know whether you saw this, they've got four young youth players who are now up in court because they recorded a sex tape. You know, the meme is, uh, and Ten Hag has just expressed interest in signing them. <laughs> of course, of course. The, so, I mean, like, what I'm saying is the Glazers, they haven't sold it. They've stepped back. Uh, then at the same time, to finish it in a positive, they've just signed a great sponsor in Qualcomm. But man, Man United are in a bad, bad shape. And I think their fans are on the verge of really, really struggling now. Yeah, look, I, I don't disagree necessarily all that, Rog, but I do think it comes from the top. I do think the Glazers is where this starts. I mean, look, they can't even make the decision to sell the club and do that properly, right? It's been going on for, I don't know, six months, eight months yeah. now. I mean, yeah. I've lost track of what's going on. The last I heard, final bids were expected like three months ago. I think it's off the And market. it's still going on, right? It's still going on. It was just this complete nonsense. Either sell the club or say you're not selling a club. But, you know, with that as a background, how do you possibly expect, A, anybody to want to sign for the club, even though they are Man United right now, because uh, anybody good, like I said, there's, they're going to be getting multiple offers from the big clubs. You know, Harry Kane was a nailed on certainly to go to Man United a couple of years ago, you remember? Yeah. He wouldn't go anywhere near him. He'd rather go to Bayern Munich than go to Man United now. If that's the background, how do you expect to sign good players? How do you expect the manager to be able to focus the team? It all makes sense to me, Rod. They're just in a complete mess. And I think last season they massively overperformed. They never looked convincing to me last season. They did well. They got a, a decent finish in the league, but they never looked convincing. I saw them play half a dozen times and not once did they look like they had dominated the game and, and every win to me was like, if not lucky, but it certainly wasn't deserved. So I don't know. I think the club is in a mess and I think it's been in a mess for almost a decade now, which is shocking and, until you think how long it was and t- before they won that first Premier League title before. You know, they've been in long slumps before and maybe... This is another one, but the difference now being the quantum of money involved here, they can't afford to be in a slump for much longer. Well, exactly, exactly. So let me bring it back to the first point about value for money in football. Uh, this is absolutely going to be one of the round tables in Como. Off the top of your head, give me an example of American owners of European football running a good project. Quickly, off the top of your head, what association? Okay, Fulham. You think that's been run well? I, I don't think it's been run badly. I don't think it's been run well. But I don't think it's been run badly. They haven't okay. gone and spent a load of money on just bringing players in. They bought good players you, in. You, are you They've breaking even? To sell. Say again. Are you breaking even, Grant? I don't know. I'm not trying to. Be no, no, uh, no they, I don't think they are, Rog. But then it's not. It, don't forget, this is our second year back up, right? So you get a little bit of leeway to reestablish yourself back in the Premier okay. League. So as I get that, but I, look, I take your point. I totally take your point. Uh, you look at Chelsea. That to me is an absolute travesty what's happening there, not just because I'm a Fulham fan. You know, if I was a fan of the club, I'd be 
tearing my hair out watching what's going on. It's it's, it's unbelievable. But no, I can't think. And now we're, obviously we're going to have triple seven partners coming in. Maybe, 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 maybe. Um, with Everton. And I'm I'm amazed that so much American money has been thrown at Premier League football. And th- you know this will come on to um, something I'm going to bring up in one of my. Uh, goals, own goals shortly, but there is an enormous amount of American money coming in and I I find it remarkable, Rog. Well, as I say, we're going to talk about this in Como because I find it not only remarkable, I find it is almost like oil and water when you think about their sporting culture, uh, closed leagues and redistribution and all of that. They are coming into European football with all our 150-year history and tradition and heritage and what I would call nuances around... And, you know, Everton, I mean, if you if you gave 777 the kind of like uh, pub quiz 20 questions on Everton and Goodison, do you think they know who Dixie Dean's is? You know, Dixie Dean. Do you think? No, of course not. Well, I mean, that's not. Not, that's not fucking good enough. You know, like this isn't a soap factory. This is a 150-year cultural asset. And at the very minimum... If you want to own it, you need to show a desire to have understood it. And we'll park what you're going to come on to later. I suspect, I think I know what it might be. But I want to continue a little bit with football because I touched on it a little bit earlier. You know, actually, before I do that, this is a little thing I just got before I came on from a listener. It's a guy that um, is from a, a hedge fund. He wrote to Giles and I. I don't think he's got your email. Uh, and, and he writes this. He says... Um, uh, lovely to see you back. Groundsman was really great. I think, I think these people overestimate us, Grant. I mean, like, we're fucking winging this, right? You and I we don't even know what we're going to talk about today. We're fucking winging this. He writes to us, uh, do, of course, you, you you will know about Nassim Talib's minority rule, uh, which is about the... Fu- Getting the game. How the, how the hell do you know that? I don't know that. How do you know that? <laughs> Christ, everybody was just realising I'm a bluffer <laughs> and these people think I'm not <laughs> imposter syndrome complete. Hey, you can fool some of the people some of the time, don't worry. <laughs> but anyway, he's coming on and saying the podcast's great, you've got this whole minority thing of skinning, whatever it is. Anyway, that was pleasing. But anyway, this is my point. A long, this is for him, this little point here. The minority point, uh, which I think the point is that it's inflexible, the minority, whereas the majority kind of like goes with the flow and ends up being dragged along by the minority. I think that's the point of all of this. Here's one here. We we have seen for a couple of years now, through Women's World Cups, through a whole lot of virtue signalling, through a whole lot of woke and PC, an idea that men's football needs and must change. And I think that whilst well-meaning is just completely wrong, men's football is feral. It doesn't do nice. It's the nature of the beast. And I'm telling you, in the social media world, it's got even more feral. So, like, when you see Southgate defend Maguire because he's getting a hard time, That just does my head in, Grant. That's, for me, the minority having an influence on a guy, and and then we'll come on to this now because it was a big event last week, on a guy who's got a chance to win a World Cup with a squad that is the best England's ever had, and I think he comes out and he's fanning around talking about it's so nasty about Harry Maguire. If you don't like the heat, get out of the fucking kitchen. Do you know what I mean? This is football. 
I'm with you 100%. I'm with you 100%. And, and the day Good. we start worrying about players' feelings being hurt from chance from the terraces, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd, right? As you said before, and you were right, you know, the football ground at three o'clock on a Saturday is where these people go to let that steam out, to go and buy their ticket and to scream at the guy getting paid 300 grand a week and to scream at him and blame him for when he makes a mistake and to cheer him when he scores a goal. And, and these fans turn one direction to the other direction. You know, that great story you had about Darren, what's his name at Celtic, right? It's just, yeah. it's just a fantastic illustration of that fan mentality. And, you know, I, I was watching, um, I forget which game it was. Uh, I think it was, no, it was, it was Fulham Luton yesterday. And uh, the Luton fans were giving the ref all sorts of sticks. It's one of those typical, like, 10 minutes where every decision goes against you. And eventually you get a free kick and there's a sardonic, we got a free kick kind of thing. And the crowd, the Luton crowd, launch into a bit of who's the wanker in the black, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've got the commentator saying, well, apologies if for, oh, for God's any sake. language you might. And I'm sitting there going, you're at a football stadium. What do you apologise? Anybody watching Fulham Luton is not a casual football fan, right? You're yeah. either a Fulham fan, you're a Luton fan. Yeah, yeah. Shut up. And the more you apologise for this stuff, the more ridiculous it gets. It's part of the game. And, you know, if you're worried about going to a football match because you might hear a word that is insensitive or you might hear someone had the mickey taken out of them. You are in the wrong place. You're, you're in, in the, the wrong, wrong movie. place. You're in the wrong movie. You know, like, uh, I, I don't know, the algorithm, I guess, kind of like reacts to stuff. I'm just seeing all this stuff from the terraces, just even from yesterday as well. You know, Sheffield United, you know, Derby games, fans just having a go at each other. They're, they're as feral as they always were, if not worse. This is the thing, and I... And, I, um, just because that guy wrote to me about skin in the game and minority report or whatever it is, I'm going to continue with this. This is what women make a mistake about when they marry a guy and they think they're going to change him. And then guess what? He doesn't change and they complain about it. Guys don't change. 99 out of 100 guys do not change. And I can tell you, 99 out of 100 football fans will not change. We will always be this way. And if you want data points, they're all over the place. Do you know, Grant, the biggest seller of Gaddafi shirts of all time now, what it is? Of Gaddafi shirts? Yeah. It says Mason Greenwood. He's gone to Gaddafi. Biggest. Oh, 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 okay, Gaddafi. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, th- I thought you were talking about sorry. like the, the, sorry, the Libyan sorry. president. I thought a T-shirt with his likeness on it. Okay, <laughs> Gaddafi. Yeah, go on. Gaddafi. Yeah, he, the, that's this is shirt that's sold most in their history. Mason Greenwood. What was their thought process of saying? Hmm. I've heard that video about that guy. He's a bad guy. I no. Come and join our club. We're going to back you all the way. And by the way, can I buy your shirt? This is football. This is football. It's never going to change. And, uh, you know, so well, let's But here's the thing, Rog. Here's, the, here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. He's going to play for Getafe and the opposition fans are going to bury him for all the stories back in the UK. And if he plays well and scores goals, the Getafe fans will defend him. And if he doesn't play well and he doesn't score goals they'll pile on top of him as well. That's that's how this whole thing works, right? It's a, it's a results-driven business and the results are literally, all the fans care about are the results 
yeah, the pitch. Yeah, you're it. right. But, but they do they do love their chance, Grant. I mean, like, I don't oh, know. Yeah. What you, I mean, like, they seem to have notched up a little bit the quality of some of the chance that you're seeing these. Maybe we just didn't have exposure to them before, but social media has opened it. Now, you know that more than anybody, I'm in favour of Saudi money and everything like that coming into football and everything like that. But when Newcastle were losing two in a row and there's chanting... What were they chanting? <laughs> beheaded in the morning. You're getting You're beheaded getting in the morning. To Eddie Howe, yeah. <laughs> God, it is God love them. It is merciless. And, look, and it always has been, Roger. It always, it always, has. Ha- always has. Anybody that doesn't want to get, deal with that, go somewhere else because we I've, ain't I've told you. I've told you this story before, I'm sure. That great story about, I think it was Paul Robinson, the goalkeeper, who had a, a big um, yes, did. big I story love, in the newspaper on the Saturday about his battle with schizophrenia, right? And he comes out the following day to play <laughs> and the, the away fans are all singing two Paul Robinsons, there's only two Paul Robinsons, right? And, and look, he applauds the fans and the fans love him. It's, this, is called, this is what banter is all about, right? Banter yeah. is about taking that weak point, making fun of it, and if you react, you're in trouble. If you take it for what it is, and you laugh at they it, forgive and you laugh you. at yourself. Yeah. You, you know, it, it, there's, there's no harm done. It's yeah. the people who get offended on behalf of other people. Yeah, that's where the problem lies, right? Yeah, like the, you know, the, the guy, the guy with the chant at the Fulham Luton game. It's like I'm worried that someone might be offended if they hear that chant. Well, let them complain. If someone wants to complain, yeah, but go to the trouble of writing to Sky or whoever. whoever oh, it's watching. I was watching on my UK on my US TV. Someone's going to take the time to write a letter in and say, I am deeply offended by hearing who's the wanker in the black on, in the background <laughs> of a football match. Then send them a nice letter back going, terribly sorry about that. But you don't have to apologise in case someone's offended. It's pathetic. It's, absurd. it's pathetic. So listen, let's come back to the field a little bit seriously because, you know, you and I were texting as we were watching Scotland, England. And like a fan who has been disengaged from Scottish football for many years, I let it get in. A little notch, a little notch. I was up for it. I was saying with 15 points out of 15, we're at home. We've got a team full. We're stacked. Our midfield stacked. And again, this is common now. So as I keep coming back to my son says to me, none of your players would get in their team. Not one of them. I said, shut up, shut up. Look at the beautiful, (laughs) look at the beautiful strip we've got. It's old style. The English strip is rubbish. Look at it, look at it. They are going to walk all over you, he said. And then I just shut up because that is exactly what happened. England are really good, Grant, really good. Yeah, they are. I have to say, Rog, it's it's quite troubling as an England fan because my entire lifetime has been all about hope, not expectation. And now there is expectation, you know, that we've had had semifinals and finals now in the last two tournaments – and, you know, look, Graham Souness was, was one of the colour commentators on that match, you know, one of the most, the proudest Scots you could imagine. Yeah. And no, no lackey for England in his time at all. But he was absolutely effusive in his compliments about England. He said, this is the best England team of my lifetime, possibly ever. He said, and, and they have to go and win something. now. And, he, and you know what, he's absolutely right. This team do have to win. are good enough to win. They've got everything. They've got youth. They've got experience. They've got pace. They've got skill. They've got depth. They've got everything they need to win a tournament and they've been to a final and a semi-final. So none of this should be new to them, the pressure now, Rog. And so, yes, for me, um, if they're not the favourites going into the World Cup, 
in the US next year, I'd be surprised. Uh, certainly they'll be, I would think, the most favoured European team, them and France, I would imagine. And, you know, I, the reason I, I know I feel this way is we've got Italy next. And historically, I'm always, oh, Christ, we've got Italy. There's, yeah. There's always going to be a tough game. And I expect us to beat Italy by two yeah. or three goals. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, and that's a very different, I've never, ever felt that way about Italy. Even when we've had good teams, I've never, ever thought we, I expect us to beat them, ever. Yeah, no, so, you're, you're right. You're right. I just want that guy to be like no, under that pressure, Southgate. He he needs to know now that if he doesn't deliver one, he'll be as famous as the penalty miss and the pizza ad. You know, there's no escape for him now. You've got to deliver, mate. And I hope the FA is saying that to him rather than trying to work out whether or how they get out of having him select Henderson, which is just nonsense. That all. Yeah, that. yeah, absolutely. Well, I I think I think Henderson's performance as um has probably done the job for him, you know. I mean, he's just off the pace. All these guys, yeah, I don't know yeah. if you've seen the clips this week of the Saudi league with Neymar. Benzema. And, <laughs> and Benzema. I mean, what did you expect? It's just, it's just hysterical. It's like a Sunday league game in a, on a sort of Wanstead flats. It's hilarious. Well, well that's weird to see on that one. But yeah, I, I take your point, you know, like... Yeah, well, let's, let, let's change the subject from football. I, I want to change the subject. I kind of, football will be involved in this, but I want to change it to VAR, and particularly with reference to Rugby World Cup. We've talked about the way rugby does VAR on this show before in very complimentary terms. And they're a long way ahead of football in terms of how they've got the referees mic'd up. You hear the whole discussion. And it's I, I think VAR is a much simpler thing to implement in rugby. I think it is. It's 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 one-on-one, it's a contact sport. And so it's always about the ball and the contact right there, and then it's there's not much going on around it. But they've always done it very, very well. And the way that we've been allowed to eavesdrop on the whole process has made it transparent and they get everything right. Now, unfortunately, watching this World Cup, you can see the dangers of overreach and overcreep with VAR where they're, you know, they're giving someone a yellow card uh, and it's getting upgraded while they're on the bench to a red card. Decisions need to be taken, decisions need to be made there and then and they need to stand and that's it. It's fine to do this, but you can't give someone a yellow card after a VAR review and then have a separate committee going over it and say, actually, we think it should be a red card. It's just getting too much now. And the fact that we're seeing this in the Rugby World Cup and obviously the stories after the game are all about the decisions being made. They're not decisions about the game itself. It's about the decisions that are being made by the officials. I'm seeing the same in football. You know, we've already had this season three or four in the space of the first four or five weeks of the season, Rog, absolute travesties of our, yeah. including one that Fulham had in that Man City game that was a clear and obvious error from the VAR team and Howard Webb or whoever is in charge apologised for it. It's absurd that you can't yeah. get this stuff right. And so I'm having been initially a fan of the idea of VAR, they need to figure out how they're going to use this. They need to do it quickly. And rugby, unfortunately, is showing us that this could become a lot more problematic rather than get better. Yeah, uh, listen, I, I don't know. What, I don't know what the answer is. You know, we, we've talked about it a little bit before, in that, you know, certainly in football, uh, uh, referees is a self-preservation society, and you know, you, you heard them during the close season say that in the VAR room they're maybe looking after the guy in the pitch, maybe he's having a bad game, yep. and they don't want to exacerbate it and things like that. That's true. I've always, I've always felt that that, that, that referees are, are a funny breed. Uh, in football I'm talking about and uh, by definition they suffer from protagonism you know who would be a referee otherwise coming back to you know the wanker in the black comment who would be a referee otherwise 
than just wanting to be part of a spectacle you can earn by being good at football. So uh, I've never been a huge fan of referees whilst admiring what they try and do and admiring when you do get a good performance. And because they all have got that character flaw, I do think they all kind of like circle the wagons when they're under pressure. VAR has just shown that flaw that it's in that kind of like their makeup there. On the other side, to protect them, I, I, you know, players I think are now becoming ridiculous with play acting and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's happening to rugby, which is a separate point. Rugby didn't used to be like that, but now they're getting into the whole play acting thing, which there's a whole theme there about really, you know, you went professional in 1995, uh, the most beautiful and pure game in the world. What's that phrase? A game for hooligans played by gentlemen. Uh, that was rugby. Well, it doesn't seem to be that way anymore. It seems to be losing that. And, you know, I don't know enough about more about VAR. I don't, I haven't followed the World Cup we just uh, in rugby. But, you know, I, I hear you. I think, I don't know what the answer is, Grant, because do you accept the, here's the thing, it's a little bit like, you know, EBITDA, right? EBITDA, according to Charlie Munger, is bullshit earnings, right? And we know that they can be manipulated. That's what I would call the old refereeing style. The guy on the, 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 the field, whatever he said, you took. You're substituting and trading off a suboptimal parameter, in this case EBITDA or human referees, for the subjective, possibly better outcome of analysing it a million times and having reports and due diligence and all of that, which I don't think there's time for in sport. So unless VAR, I think, I'm thinking on my feet here, unless VAR very quickly, as you said, gets its act together and shows that it's adding value, then we'd be going better bring them back to the old ways and just saying there's always going to be flaws because they're not making it any better. They're possibly making it worse. In the whole, are they making it better? You could argue that the offside thing is making it better. But at the end of the day, there's a line somewhere. You cannot make it perfect because there is human interpretation. And whether that human interpretation comes on the field or in the room with all the t video screens, if the room with the video screens can't get it right every time, what's the point? You know, you should only be doing that if you are guaranteed to get it right every time. If you can't, let's accept that there is a human element to football. Part of the imperfection exactly is part point. of the beauty. And every fan wants to be able to talk in the pub about that stupid referee who made a terrible call and should have had a penalty and... That was part of the fun of football, right? It's it swings and roundabouts. So because no, you can know. accept I that just... better than you can your Fulham result going to VAR. They get that wrong, and then he has to come out and make an apology. You can't accept that, but you can accept exactly. a human making an error. Yeah, exactly right. It's it's a problem. Exactly right. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. It's a problem. Um, All right. Well, never mind. Never mind. I, well, I've, got, I've, got quick, I've got a very quick one before the one that you part will come back to. I just, you know, I, I, I love the connection of popular culture that the NFL is and to see it come back with the coverage of the Jets game. I think it was Jets Bill to Jets Bills. Yeah. And, you know, Ooh, the way they opened up. Well, tell me a bit, a little bit, because, you know, just that shot of the Statue of Liberty uh, in the night game and then the national anthem, American national anthem, and, you know, the biggest TV audience ever, I think. I mean, like, God, man, I mean, NFL is back. What a product market fit that sport is. 
And, you know, the Jets fans were so up for it, you know, and then, you know, Aaron Rodgers and out out for the season. Tell me about the Jets, because you've lived in New York. Tell me what the Jets means in New York and how they would have been up for this season and now this amazing disappointment. Yeah, look, the, the Jets are as blue-collar a sports team as you could find. They are the bluest of blue-collar teams. And they've always struggled they're always like the you know the the hard luck team they always disappoint they always you know you've seen teams like this Roger in every sport right but the fans are and in Aaron Rodgers they had a great quarterback all right yes he's getting on a bit he was he's, he's no spring chicken but once again the hopes were high they've got they've got a they've got a really good team both sides of the ball for the first time and hopes were high and you know here we are a few plays into the game when he snaps his Achilles and he's out now. They're talking now about him coming back uh, in January for the playoffs. And already it started, right? If they get to the playoffs, and Wilson, who was the quarterback and is now back up to Rogers, if he gets them into the playoffs, surely he deserves to keep his role. They've already started this conversation. Fans, now, eh? right? One Fans. game into the season, and it, look, it's just they're that team. They're that team that will always break your heart, but you'll love them anyway. And and it, it was a real shame to see Rogers go down the way he did uh, with an injury like that at this, at this stage of his career. You know, will he be back or not? I don't know. That's a really tough injury to recover from when you're in your early 20s, never mind when you're Aaron Rodgers' age. But it does leave the door open for Wilson to become a hero. He won that game in the end, right? Yeah, he won. They beat the Bills. And, you know, he's had six months of being the understudy to Aaron Rodgers now. And Rodgers, apparently from all the coverage, has spent a lot of time with his arm around this kid trying to teach him everything that Aaron Rodgers can teach him. So out of this injury, there could be a phenomenal story coming Go up. Jets. We'll wait and see. They're playing the Cowboys this week. Uh, that game starts in about two hours. So oh, I, wow. And the Cowboys, are their defense is tough. So Wilson, we're going to know a lot more about Wilson in about five hours. That's what hours I was saying time. about maturity. It's um, you step up, you know, cometh we'll the see. hour, cometh the man. Yeah, well, look, we'll see. He was a high draft pick three years ago. Comes with decent pedigree, and and we'll see. But um, it was it was a real shame. I, you know, one of my uh, own goals this week was poor old Aaron Rodgers. There will be a story around the New York Jets this season, one way or another. Hope so. They will be one of the stories. Which Green and white team, way. blue collar. There's actually a great stuff. There's actually a, one of these documentaries. Um, I think it's Amazon. Hard Knocks. I think is or maybe. HBO, I'm not sure, one of them, Inside the Jets. And there's a clip, if you can find it on social media, of one of the Jets, I forget who it was, uh, standing up on stage and rapping. I think it was uh, Lose Yourself by Eminem. Just tremendous. I would, I'll try and find the cliff and I'll send it to you, but it was just Great. awesome. Um, Good stuff. And yeah, the, the, yeah, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Um, now Welcome the, the back, NFL. Alluded to it, you, I know you've guessed what I want to talk about because it, it ties so many of our threads from the last several months together. There was a um, a piece in the Wall Street Journal, I think yesterday, maybe Friday, um, and the title of the piece was Goldman's pitch to rich clients, hey, buy a piece of this sports team. Now, Goldman Sachs is creating a sports franchise unit within their investment banking department to offer their wealthy clients more access to the chance to own a piece of a sports team. And it says here, uh, where are we? Here we go. The bank is creating a sports franchise unit within its investment banking division that will combine sports M&A with sports financing. A top goal is to work with asset and wealth management to pitch wealthy clients on investing in teams, stadiums, and other flashy deals. You know, it, 
when I read this, I could hear the bell ringing so loud. You know, Goldman Sachs are, are trying to offload sports teams to their high net worth individual clients, Rog. We are so much closer to the end of this little moonshot. When you say the bell the ringing, what you mean is the phrase ringing the top in. Yeah, exactly right. It just feels to me like if this is where we're at, that we're going to go and pitch this to wealthy individuals, hey, buy a piece of sports team, that means you're running out of smart money that wants to buy these sports franchises and they're, they're seeing less interest in them than when they're coming up for sale. So I, it's just it's a perfect signal to me that, say, the end of this little shell game is fast approaching. And, you know, that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about what happens when the cost of capital goes up. We've been talking for months now about how unrealistic all these valuations are and the sign that investment banks are about to try and stuff private investors into these should fill a lot of people full of dread, frankly. I just think that's great insight, you know, like whether you believe it or not, and I think most people would realise by now that you and I are probably more on the bearish side of this trade than on the on the bull side. I mean, shit, I'm, I'm writing a whole book about that. It's very interesting, you know, almost always when retail, what's called retail, which means the retail investor, which means the normal Joe that's got a bit of money, gets involved in what are the sexy themes, it's normally when the smart kids are getting out. You know, it's the, the phrase is, you're leaving retail holding the bag. And um, <laughs> as soon as you said that, you know, you hear the bell ringing, that's, it makes sense. Let's see what happens. We're going to go through a really interesting next... 18 months, I think, in this sector. and uh, Well, you, you, need, you need exit liquidity for all the guys. They're talking about how these valuations, these sports teams have mushroomed, right? And they have. They've gone up multiples over the last, what, seven years particularly. But you still need exit liquidity. You need someone to crystallise those valuations, right? If you, if you have bought, spent $100 million on a sports team and is now valued at a billion, you need to find someone with a billion dollars who will give it to you before you can crystallise that Game. Well, well so that's, that's, that's that true, Grant. Is... That's true, Grant. But if you look, uh, um, I don't know whether you picked up this stat or not, but the number of continuation PE funds these days, where PE funds are actually setting up themselves a new PE fund that they them, themselves own to sell yep. the asset to themselves, that's kicking the can down the road. Yeah, uh, sure. you know? And if you look at the graph of the number of continuation funds, in the last four or five years, it is through the roof. So all the signs are there, to your point, that the real exit uh, liquidity isn't around and it's a little bit of a shell game. Well, we'll see. As you say, we'll see. But um, that uh, that was a real a real bell for me, reading that article. Anyway, what else you got for us? We've got a few minutes left. Anybody Two minutes else? left, okay. A um, couple of quick things, very, very quick. Um, there's a great article in The Athletic this week. I do enjoy a lot of their work uh, around Man Un Man uh, Leeds United and the dream team of Radriziani, the owner, Orta, the, the sporting director, and the CEO, Angus Kinnear, who at the time of the documentary were seen as the three amigos and high-fiving each other in the stands, and <laughs> it all turned to shit, Grant. He's sold now, Andrea sold, and Kinnear apparently went on a tour podcast and basically let fly against Radiziani. And um, it just shows you the ability to get everybody rowing in the same direction, even when it seems they are in a European football club, to come back to the point about culture, 
It's so, so difficult. And so I'll send you this article, Grant, because like it's, geez, you know, like it didn't take long for that to unravel. That kind of, you know, like bad divorce type story, you know? Yeah. And that was one thing. The second thing is a little bit funnier, you know, in another news this week, I noticed a story, I think again also by The Athletic, so kudos to them. An English football manager has been let off by the FA for betting. Uh, you know, he's apparently a, a complete gambling addict. Uh, was betting on his own sport, but not his own team, to be fair. Was being blackmailed by two of his own players and was pushed under the carpet. I think probably rightly so that they let the guy off. But you look around and some people might think, well, what is going on here? You talk about Varbin inconsistent. You know, you've got Tony out for eight months, you know, the, the Brentford lad. And you've got Paqueta. I mean, I may be wrong, but, you know, the, the deal to Man City didn't go through because he's he was like, you know, taking booking. So the folks in his island, you know, there's an island called Paqueta, could get the bets on about how many bookings and everything like that. He was playing today. He was playing for, you know, the Hammers. I just see inconsistency everywhere. And, you know, it's not great. Well, I saw one of these stories that they, they let a manager off from betting because some of his bets were as little as 25 pence, it said. He was betting <laughs> 25p on the games, like my nan betting on the Grand National. <laughs> you know, I mean, but having said that, you've got to draw a line, right? You've got to, you either allow betting or you don't, whether it's 25p or 25 grand, you know. Well, this guy was getting blackmailed by his players, so he had broken a rule. Natural justice was such that I don't think he was betting on his own team, and he, he was betting, he was, you know, he's betting on other football games. But you know, like if you put a, a player in his prime out for eight months, like Tony, um, yeah. and then you keep Pat Packway on the field, I don't know why he's still playing. I don't follow the story that much, but maybe it's you know innocent till proven guilty. But you know, anyway, that's everything for this week, my friend. I think that's um, a good run around the houses. All right, my man. Well, listen, as always, it's so much fun sitting and getting to do this with you. And I will actually see you this week. By the time this goes out, yeah. I'll be in Lake Coma. I'll yeah. be there. So uh, I'll, I'll see you in a few days. Um, in the meantime, uh, thanks to you out there for listening to us. Uh, we appreciate you doing that every week. Thank you so much. Thanks for all the correspondence. Please keep that coming. Best way to do that is through Twitter. You'll find us at EntertainR, the word A-R-E. You'll find me at T-T-M-Y-G-H. And you'll find myself at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. Roger, I will see you in or at least around the lake in a few days. A few days. Can't wait. Take care. Safe travels. See you, mate. Bye. See you, mate. Bye-bye.